Good, now I got my mic on. Man, I heard those chords progressing, and I'm like, I ain't got my mic on. We're going to be in trouble. But we're good. Thank you for being here today. Um, thanks to the folks online. Like Brandon said, just great uh, to see everyone, no matter how you're joining in, even in later in the week. We're glad that you're being a part of what we're thinking about here and talking about here and what God's doing here. Uh, it's crazy. I know that if you're like me, <clears throat> you're sick of hearing about COVID. You're sick of hearing about how you're sick of hearing about COVID, uh, right? But, but this is weird. I thought about this. If my memory serves me correctly, it was right around this time last year, uh, if not within a couple days of this date, that was the first time we shut everything down and tried to transition to virtual. And uh, it's been a long year, but even this past 10 days as things are opening back up and it's just great to kind of see what God's allowing us to do and think about that whole year where we've been from only virtual to having people back in the building and just what he's doing. And so the past 10 days of Calvary have kind of been um, exciting and we're grateful for it. Last weekend, last Friday and Saturday, we had 70 or so students who filled this building and man, couldn't go away for a retreat. So our student life team did a staycation and a great time of hanging out together and brought in some speakers and just uh, some challenging and encouraging times of truth and worship. Last Sunday, just great opportunities, a church family to thank the darlings for their service to us as they move into kind of full-time retirement. And I know they were so appreciative of all of you who gave them cards or just went by at the end of the services to thank them. Uh, last Sunday was a powerful time as we heard uh, from the Gibsons who were so courageous to honestly just kind of share their story as we talked about Joseph's story and some of the overlaps and, and, and what they processed spiritually as they uh, navigated through the death of a child this year. Powerful weekend. This past Wednesday night, we had the first kickoff of Men's Night. Four guys liked it. Uh, it was great, right? Something we've wanted to do for a long time is, man, how do we, in a way that fits where we are now and what we're doing, man, just kind of rally guys together. And so we launched the men's night. We had 40 or so plus men in this room. And uh, it was just a great kickoff event. And we were so encouraged when you're doing things new for the first time, there's two really good signs, right? When you have to bring in new chairs, that's a good sign. And when nobody wants to leave, that's an even better sign. And ladies... Like, we couldn't get these dudes out of the building. It's like, boys, in a minute, you have to pick up a broom and start sweeping because we got to go. But it was really, really a great time and so encouraged. And we're trying to create these gatherings um, going into this, you know, from now to the summer, like every other Wednesday night or so, a couple times a month. And some of the gatherings are going to be for us to just connect, right? Not necessarily on campus, but man, let's get out and throw some axes or play some cornhole or smoke some barbecue and just build relationships. Other opportunities are going to be for us to serve together as a group of guys and then opportunities for us to grow spiritually as we press into some lessons. So not, not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday, we're going to have our next time as we think about guys in different stages of life, what opportunities does God have for us, what challenges do we face. And so it should be a great time together. Today, like Brandon mentioned, we're really excited at what God's allowing us to do. We're really, man, it's so great to see so many of you back in the building and new people keep coming back and new families who've never been here. At the same time, it's really encouraging to see our online attendance is, is trending higher. And so we want to do what we can for people who aren't yet feeling comfortable or safe coming back 
to really serve you well online. And so we do have kind of a service host and we're gonna be building up a team to engage in some online chat and help make sure we're caring for our online viewers well. So thanks to those folks who've joined us next Sunday. We're able, the governor's lifted a lot of restrictions. So we're gonna boost the attendance of this thing and we're gonna allow 250 people to come. And so that whole wing, we've dropped the TV, we're adding chairs. Well, yeah. <clears throat> I'm tempted to invite some of the folks online at home who are like, ah, it's too much work to get in my car. I'd love for you to come. We'll have 50 more seats over there for you. Uh, the first service thinks I'm crazy, right? Because they're not yet as large as this, but I told uh, them that I told you that if you want to be part of the best service, you need to come to the earlier service. So that, they like that. That made them happy. Um, but we're just excited because, you know, God is working in different ways, right? And, and, but what's interesting is in smaller pockets, there's a lot of meaningful ministry going on. And so we're really, really grateful for that. And so we're going to jump into this. And then, as Brandon said, we're going to do the question and answer uh, thing. It will do nothing else but show you how little I know. Uh, but you already know that already. So it won't be much of a surprise. So let me pray. And then we're going to move into our, our time together in the Word. Father, we are grateful um, <clears throat> for what you're doing and how you're working. We're grateful that relationships are being formed and deepened and initiated here in this church community. We're grateful that you're allowing honest and hard and rich conversations to be had about what it means to spiritually grow and discipleship. Um, we're just thankful for how you're working in the lives of our students and our kids and in different opportunities you're giving to us to try to impact folks. And so, we pray that we'll continue to have great wisdom as we navigate as shepherds who serve under you, Father, what you would have us do in leading this church and what that looks like. Um, but we're sure grateful for the opportunities you're giving to us, and we want to do it well as great stewards of this ministry that you've given to us. Help us now, Father, as we move into your word, and no matter where we find ourselves in our story this morning, Father, will this be <clears throat> helpful and meaningful to us? As we, as we want to serve you well. So thank you, Father. We pray this for the glory of Jesus, and it's in his name, our King, in whose kingdom we live, we pray. Amen. Well, the reality that we all know is that sometimes in life we all face these, these moments that kind of shake us a little bit, right? These moments where something happens to us, and it causes us just to to, to, to have the ground underneath us move. And then sometimes in those moments, what we try to do is to get our bearing and get a grip and try to figure out, okay, how do I stand? Like, what, what, things are moving underneath me, but I just need something kind of, some simplistic truth that I can just kind of hold on to, not complexity of like the book, just something to hold on to that allows me just to stand in this moment. We have those kind of simple, easy to remember sayings when trivial things happen to us in life, right? There's all sorts of little simple sayings when there's something trivial, like, for instance, I before E. Yes, there are five of you that know grammar. Four guys were excited, right? I before E, except after C. But then, mo you know, you should know this one. Ready? Righty-tighty. Yes, right? Righty-tighty, lefty-loosey. Interestingly, um, after I did the sermon and started to start with those cheesy little things, I used that righty-tighty, lefty-loosey phrase this weekend two times because on Friday, I have a leak in my sink. And as I'm underneath there trying to figure out how do I turn the water off, which way does it go, I remembered righty-tighty, 
Lefty Lucy. My son was going to the beach with some friends. He got a flat tire in his car, and he's trying to remember how he take him. I heard my wife say to him, Cole, remember, when you take the wheels off, righty-tighty, lefty-loosey, right? We have little trivial sayings that in the moment when you're trying to turn off water or you're trying to unscrew a screw or you're trying to tighten something in your car, righty-tighty, lefty-loosey, righty-tighty, lefty-loosey. It just brings us to kind of some place where we know the next thing to do, but what about those moments that we face when the issue is not how do I spell a word with an I and an E in it, or the issues that we face are not, how do I tighten this bolt or turn off my water? What, what can we grab onto then in those moments that can help us navigate them and stand in them? And maybe that's the very question that some people in the first service were asking. Maybe that's the very question that one of you who's turning in virtually is asking as you're watching this live, or maybe it's later in the week. And it's a Thursday and something's happened and you're just trying to figure out, okay, I need something to hold on to. Maybe it's you this morning in this service. That there's been something going on in your life and your, the ground's shaking a little bit underneath you and you just need something to just kind of hold on to, to grab onto, to just kind of in this moment, okay, boom, this is what I need to know so that I can know how to take my next step or I can know how to stand well in this moment. Is there something that we can see to hold to? And there is, and we're going to see that today as we continue in our narrative season, we're going to narrative uh, series, we're going to see some truths about God that we can hold on to in moments to just kind of anchor ourselves. But in order to unpack those truths, we need to remember where we've been in the series so far. And so a little bit of a reminder, and like Brandon said, we are going to do some Q&A at the end in a minute. But here, here's where we started, right? We started where every good story starts. We started in the beginning, and when I use the word story, I'm not talking about fairy tale or like Cinderella or Rumpelstiltskin, right? When I use the word story to describe this, I'm talking about true stories, historical stories. We started with the truth that in the beginning of this story, God created the heavens and the earth. These are all of what we've talked about in the past few weeks together. And everything ended here very, very good. But then what we saw in Genesis chapter 3, in a moment, everything went very, very bad. And it went badly in this story for the same reason it goes badly in my story, for the same reason it goes badly in your story. It went badly because the people in this true story thought that they knew better than God. They thought that what ultimately what would make them happy is something that God was keeping from them and that he wasn't for them and it would be better for them to disobey God than to obey God because it would make them more satisfied and bring richness to their life. And boy, were they wrong. And sometimes, boy, have I been wrong. Sometimes we've been wrong. And so they sinned and they disobeyed. And in this moment, it was like this nuclear bomb that went off that, that impacted everything that was touched by that radiation of sin. Everything was shattered in this moment. And the implications, the aftershocks of sin continued. Dan, our former executive pastor, retired now, talked about Noah, and it's still a mess. And then, and, then, and then what happens is God's looking down, and he does what I did as I shared with you that story about all those beads that I lost on my tile floor in Texas. When all these beads were on the floor and I had to clean up this big mess, I reached down and I started with one bead. And I started picking up the mess one bead at a time. Well, that's exactly what God did with Abraham. He looked down at this big mess, and he starts with one man, one guy who wasn't following him, one guy that was following other gods, one guy that didn't deserve it, but God said, man, I'm Abraham, I'm going to start with you. And he said to Abraham, I'm going to make three promises that's going to be my framework for how I rescue and fix the whole story. I'm going to give you people, I'm going to give that people land, 
And then from those people in that land, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, but I'm going to offer blessings to all nations. The Abrahamic covenant, theology for the day, Abrahamic covenant, we talked about that. And this is the framework, this is the rescue plan for the whole rest of the Bible leading into Jesus. And we're going to unpack it step by step. But in this moment, there was something interesting. God made this promise to Abraham that I'm going to give you people. Only problem was old boy ain't got no kids. And his wife was old and didn't have any kids. And then the implication is she wasn't able to have kids. God makes this promise to a guy who couldn't have kids. But then over time, he doesn't give him a whole group of people yet. He gives him a son. <clears throat> he gave him another son, Ishmael. We talked about that. He gave him Isaac. And we start to track the family tree of Abraham a little bit. Not a huge country, but, but a couple of sons and kids here and there. We spent the past two weeks talking about Joseph. And the ups and the downs in Joseph's life, right? This is where we left last week with Joseph, kind of this, this track, this trajectory, these boxes of the ups and downs in his life. And we saw, man, this 17-year-old kid ended up in a pit. And then after all these ups and downs, and we saw that man, he ended in a place where there was power and there was impact. And we talked about how in Joseph's story and in the Gibson story, none of these moments were good. They were anything but good. But yet, from moments that weren't good, God was able to bring some good. And so we ended last week with Joseph being elevated to being like the vice president, uh, the second in command in Egypt. And the impact that he had is there was this massive famine <clears throat> that was in Egypt. And Joseph had been positioned in a place in an advance he could prepare for it. And so he was able to have impact in two different ways. He, he had food stored up so that all the people in Egypt could eat and they could live. But he also was able to save the life of his actual family because his dad, who thought he was dead, and his brothers who'd sold him, they didn't have food where they lived. So they came to Egypt to get some food, and Joseph was able to have an impact in their life as well. Joseph is politically connected. Joseph is rich. Joseph is wealthy. Joseph has authority. Joseph has impact. And Joseph looks at his dad, who's elderly, who's still living in another land, and he's like, hey, you know what, dad? I mean, I got me a nice house. I got a little in-law suite. So why don't you move over here to Egypt with me? Why don't you bring the whole family? Uh, in fact, I'll get a house for them. We can all live here in Egypt. And that's exactly what happens in the story. As we continue Genesis 46, verses 5 through 7, we read what happens in two different places. Then Jacob, Joseph's uh, dad, set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their fathers, their little ones, and their wives, and the wagon that Pharaoh had sent to carry them. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan. And they came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Next chapter over, chapter 47, verses 27 through 28, we read this. Thus Israel which we said is another name for Jacob, kind of interspersed. Thus Jacob settled in the land of Egypt and the land of Goshen. And they gained possessions of it, and they were fruitful, and they multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. Here's a map of what we see going on. And here's, this is modern-day Israel up here. Here's Hebron. Here's where Joseph was from, hanging out most recently in the story. His dad's here. His brothers are here. So these guys trek down into Egypt, which is green, like the color of the uniforms of the Boston Celtics, 
of amazing Larry Bird fame back when the NBA was really the NBA. And they settled kind of here in Goshen, right? Kind of east of the Nile River. So Joseph's family's over here. They're settling, right? They're starting to have some more kids. Interestingly, what we're going to see in two or three weeks is they're going to start this trek back where they came from. But for now, they've moved down here. Here's where we are in the timeline of what we're seeing in the story, that Joseph's family now moves to Egypt. They're hanging out there in Egypt, and you know what the next thing that happens is? The next thing that happens we see in Genesis chapter 50, that Joseph's father dies. And then after that, Joseph dies. We read Genesis 50, verse 26. The last verse in the book of Genesis says, So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. This book is about real people. Real people just like you and I who have real stories. Who have loved ones who die. Who go to memorial services for people that they care about. This isn't a book of hollow cartoon characters. This is a book of people just like us who go through normal everyday things just like us and now two of the big people in the story are dead. And then that brings us to the end of Genesis. And if you flip your page in the Bible or if you scroll on your device, I don't know what scroll on device sounds like, right? The very next thing you come to is the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus. Have you ever watched The Amazing Race? Wow. I am, next week, we're just going to binge watch The Amazing Race for an hour and 15 minutes, okay? The Amazing Race, when COVID hit, that was kind of this deal that my youngest daughter and I, uh, we just really got into it. And on Amazon Prime, you can go back to the first uh, episodes. The first episodes were like ancient. I don't know how long ago, but the first episodes, when you pull them out on Amazon Prime, it is no 4K HD TV streaming, right? It is like grainy. And the thing is weird on the screen. It compresses us into this little box. And my daughter turns to me and is like, Dad, I do not know what this is, but I can barely watch a TV show that's grainy in this box. It's like, might as well have been black and white, right? But in The Amazing Race, here's what happens. That they're on this race. It's a reality show. Then they, they, they do something, and then a commercial hits. And then when you come back from a commercial, what happens is right after the commercial, they show you about the last seven seconds of what you saw before the commercial. Right, Right after the commercial, when the show resumes, they pull you back to the last seven seconds of what you just saw in case you took your dog out or got Doritos and somehow in that you totally forgot what you saw. They pulled you back to remind you and to let you know that the plot is still ongoing. Well, that's exactly what happens in Exodus chapter 1. The first seven verses of Exodus chapter 1 pull us back and repeat what we saw before the commercial of all that kind of ended in the book of Genesis. But it also lays in this one other really important detail that helps us see these truths about God that we're going to talk about in a second. And here's what Genesis 1 1 through 7, right? This is pulling us back to before the commercial, to the way Genesis ended, to tell us it's one big story. These are the names of the son of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his own household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulon, Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 people, 70 people. 
came to go live in the in-law suite. But then time goes by, and in these next few verses, we have more details that are telling us what happened. Then Joseph died. We read that at the end of Genesis. And all his brothers and all of that generation, everybody dies. Verse 7. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. The people of Israel... Here's where we are in the timeline as we kind of end what we're going to think about today, text-wise. The people of Israel now fill Egypt. The people of Israel now fill Egypt. People, which is really, really, really important because back here, God promised a dude who didn't have any kids, I'm going to give you some people. And you know what? Now, God's done exactly what he promised he would do. The text is very clear in some of this language. People, people. God said he's going to do it. God's going to continue to do it. In the coming weeks, we're going to talk about how God's going to kind of build this, this people group now into a nation and give that nation land, right? What a change from here, what's happening here from there, right? God did exactly what he said he would do. And next week, what we're going to start to launch into in the coming weeks is, okay, well, now what's going on with these people who fill Egypt? And now how is God going to continue to unpack these promises and move them into some land? And what's that story going to be like? But this morning, here's the spiritual righty-tighty, lefty-loosey. Ready? Here it is. And I'm going to say it, and you're going to be like, dude, did you even like prep for this sermon? Because it's not going to be anything you don't know. But here's what this shows us. That God keeps his promises, and God accomplishes his purposes. God keeps his promises. And God accomplishes his purposes. And what we're going to see step by step through the sermons until Jesus, as we walk the Old Testament to Jesus, is that idea continually drummed into our minds, continually evidenced that again and again and again, God is going to keep his promise and God is going to fulfill his purposes. And so... What does that have to do with you or I this morning? Well, here's what it has to do. Sometimes when I'm under my sink and water's flying, or sometimes when I've been brave enough, (laughs) some of you are going to be like, bro, if that's brave, you're a moron. Sometimes when I've shown how manly I am and changed my oil, and I'm trying to remember, ah, which way do I screw? How do I get it back? All that stuff. Righty tighty, lefty loosey, righty tighty, lefty loosey. When the water's spraying and oil's dropping and things aren't unbreaking, righty tighty, it, it, it anchors me in that moment for here's making, letting me know how to move on. And, and for some of you this morning, as things are shaking underneath you, this morning you don't need complicated theology about the book of Revelation and all the charts. 
You need something to kind of bring you back to what you already know to help you stand in this moment that God keeps his promises and God accomplishes his purposes. Are you in a transition in your job? Maybe your job's not working out and you're searching for a new one. Maybe you've been laid off. Maybe after 40 plus years, you've retired. And there's all these uncertainties out there about, man, what job is next? Am I going to be able to pay my bills? What does retirement look like? And your head's swirling. And this morning, the only thing God wants you to do is just to give you something e-simple to say, but profound to grab that God keeps his promises and he accomplishes his purposes. Are you facing financial stress today? I mean, when you heard that that third COVID relief bill was passed, you've been literally checking your online banking statement every hour since then, because man, that 1400 bucks has to hit your account because you got a bill to pay that you don't know how to pay. And you need that money, but the problem is once you get that money in your account, there's going to be more bills to pay. And that's what's keeping you up at night, staring at that ceiling fan over your head that's not running because it's wintertime, but you're thinking to yourself, how am I going to do this? God keeps his promises, and he accomplishes his purposes. Maybe you're 18, and man, you're graduating high school and you want to go into a trade or a profession or a skill, you know, a skilled job and that apprenticeship hasn't worked out. Maybe you're 18 and you'd found the, 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 the one police department or the fire department that allows you to, to jump in without needing a full four-year degree and you want to be on that path, but you can't take the test or you can't find the place or somebody's uncle's brother who did worse on the test than you is the guy who's getting the job or maybe you've applied to a bunch of colleges and there's that one college that you as a senior have yearned to go for to, and they haven't let you in. Maybe this morning, you're at a place in your life, and 10 years ago, you had dreams <clears throat> about what this moment in your life would look like, and it's not lining up. Maybe this morning, you're processing that call from the doctor with the lab test that came back, and you're reeling. And you're like, I... I I don't need any questions and answers, Smiths, about your sermon. I just need God to give me a little bit of hope this morning. And maybe for you, if you're in any of those scenarios or whatever scenario you find yourself in, here's the hope. God keeps his promises. And God fulfills his purposes. God keeps his promises. And he does fulfill his purposes. And maybe that's what you need to just keep reminding yourself of this afternoon, tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon, as you're trying to figure out how to navigate these next steps. People were part of God's promises, right? Giving Abraham people was there. But, but not only were people part of the development of the promise, but there was also something interesting about what God was going to do through these people, what God was going to do through Abraham, right? See, here, what God told Abraham is, Abraham, I'm going to give you people, I'm going to give you land, and then I'm going to bless them, but through those people, I'm going to offer blessing to other people. Genesis 12, when the Abrahamic covenant is being told, here's the verse that we see that God kind of tells us. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, father's house, land I'll make you a great nation, and and I will bless you 
and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Here's what God said to Abraham. Abraham, bro, I'm choosing you. I'm going to give you people. I'm going to get that people into the land. I'm going to bless them in the land. But more than that, I'm going to make it so that you will then be a blessing and that in you, through the people I give to you and come to you, through you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Here's what this layers onto us, this other point about this, that God keeps his promises to us. God accomplishes his purposes in us, but there's another one, and it's this, that God also keeps his promises and accomplishes his purposes through us. See, through the Jewish people, through the Israelites, God was going to work to eventually bless all people as the, the, the package unfolds and the story is told. And this morning, the story is this, that not only does God keep his promises to you, And not only does God fulfill his purposes in you, but God wants to keep his promises and accomplish his purposes for his kingdom through you. As the story continues, what we're going to see in the coming weeks is that the Jewish people, the Israelites, were actively involved in having God work through them so that the things could be fixed and so that other nations could know God and so that things would happen in God's kingdom through them the way that God wanted things in his kingdom to be. It wasn't a spectator sport for them. And you know what? It's not a spectator sport for us. It's not, because what God wants to do is keep his promises to you, and what God wants to do is fulfill his purposes in you, but God also wants, it's just not a consumeristic, okay, I'm done, I'm going to hang out with my iPad, play some games until I hear a trumpet and I go see Jesus. Because what God wants to do is he also wants to keep his promises, he wants to fix everything He wants to accomplish his purposes through you. Look, I am, look, if if people weren't watching us online and and, and you guys weren't here and people weren't stewarding money and all that, I I obviously wouldn't have anybody to talk to. So then I wouldn't really have a job really quick. So then I'd be cruising around in an ambulance saving lives, right? So I am grateful, obviously, that people come, but, but, but look. If all that we as a church are doing is for an hour and 15 minutes a week sitting on a blue chair and spectating, we probably should just shut the place down. Because it was never about just sitting on a chair for an hour and 15 minutes and spectating. It was about being actively involved in the very spot in which God has you so that he can work through you to make the world around you where he has you represent his kingdom a little bit better so that he can be worshipped a little more powerfully so that his grace can be known by people a little more clearly. That's the story of the Jewish people. That's the story for us. 
And the amazing thing is that so many of you, so many of us, it's not a spectator sport for you. And you're involved in people's lives and you're doing things for his kingdom and you're concerned about the values of his kingdom and, and man, you're involved, but that's not everybody. <clears throat> and imagine what it would look like if a church in Fairfield County, in this particular cultural moment, when Christians have all sorts of reputations, and it's not even worth looking at Twitter anymore because of all the nonsense going on, what would it look like for a church in Fairfield County in that moment if everybody said, man, what does God want to do through me now? How does God want me to advance his kingdom now? How does God want me to live and speak and think and love in a broken world and being part of the story of making it new, as God might have me do. That's our challenge. That's our opportunity. And just imagine what it would look like if every single person in a church in Fairfield County was not here to consume things. This isn't like the Golden Corral lunch buffet with a chocolate magic fountain for you to stick your face under if you like chocolate. <clears throat> this is about being a group of people who are trying to impact the community and people around us for the glory of God. What would it look like for a church to do that? What might God do through a church that did that? And what's stopping you and me from being people in a church who do that. Man, I want to go for it. I do. I do. I want to be a group of people that when people think of Calvary Church, you know what they think? They think, man, I can't believe how I saw God's love through them. I can't believe how I saw God's kindness through them. I can't believe how I heard truth through them. Imagine what a church like that might look like. So we're going to keep walking that story. And we're going to keep thinking about that in the weeks to come. I invite you to come back as we find out what's going on in these people's lives and what challenges do they face. But uh, like Brandon said, what we're going to do now is I'm going to invite one of our elders and my buddy Chris Raleigh on the stage. And we're just going to have a little question and answer. We've covered a lot since um, the beginning. We're, not, you know, we're, we're going to try to get you guys out of here your normal time which is very different every week. But we're going to spend about 10 or 15 minutes or so just giving you a chance to text in your question. Uh, the link should throw back up there. I know some of you have already texted in throughout the week and even this morning. And so Chris is going to be the moderator. And uh, I didn't completely show all of my ignorance the first service, but there's still time. So we'll get to see how this happens. Um, so Chris Raleigh. You ready? Oh, man, I'm ready for you to ask me a question and me to punt it back to you. It's going to be just amazing. All right, these are not my questions, by the way. They yeah, we didn't questions. script this, right? Wouldn't it be like, hey, Chris, let's pretend we're taking their questions, but <laughs> literally, let's just use a lot of Greek words and look really smart. All right. All right, well, so this first question came in from an online, online person on our YouTube stream. So if you're on YouTube, feel free to submit questions there. Um, but the question was kind of connected to the end of your sermon. You were talking about God's promises. Uh, and the question is this. How can one discern 
confirm God's specific promise for me or for us? That. So here's the challenge, YouTube person. I'm going to try to answer what I think you're asking. And I could start and you'd be like, dude, whatever you're saying ain't nothing to do with my question. But uh, so I'm hearing the question be a little bit like, like, how do I know God's specific purpose for me, right? Is that kind of what you're... Yeah, like you said, you said God will keep his promises. How, how do we figure out what those promises are? Yeah, great question. Um, so, so here's a great, great point, right? Obviously, one of the easiest ways for us to figure out what God's promises are to us is um, in the book. Uh, there are a lot of places where God gives people promises, and so one of the best places to go is to, to go to the book for the promises. One of the challenging things, and this is why dialogue is good, because this may raise more questions for whoever asks this great question. Um, but one of the challenges in the book is to, got an Old Testament, got a New Testament. And God made a lot of promises throughout it, but some of the promises were made specifically to Jewish people in their particular moment. <clears throat> you and I are not the true... You and I, as Gentile, non-Jewish Christians, right, are not the same people group as the Jews in the Old Testament. And so we need to be very careful when God gave a specific promise to the Jews in the Old Testament linked with their culture, with their moment, um, automatically thinking that applies to you and I today, okay? So... um, I'll give an example. I'm not at all trying to be controversial, but I'll just give an example. The, pr- the promise that God made, God said to the Jewish people in their moment, in their sin, in their culture, in their historical setting, hey, I've told you Jewish people a lot about sin and about repentance. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, here's what I'm going to do for your land. That promise was specifically given to the Jewish people. That was not a promise given to people in 2021 today as the initial recipients, okay? Now, is it good to pray for things in different countries and around the world? Yes, but we can't cling to something as a promise if we weren't the one to whom that promise was made. And so part of this this challenge is just kind of thinking through sometimes, well, what promise was made? But the Bible is the first great place where we can kind of go to discern God's promises, and we have to be careful Um, Because there's a lot of things I wish God promised. And a lot of times, I'll be honest, I'm trying to make a contract with God that he never wrote to me. And so I think sometimes the challenges are there's not things that we might like that God would promise to us, and that makes it complex too. So his word, and then just processing through who was the first group to receive that promise, and then what, if any, application does that still have to me today in 2021? So, uh, and Chris, you're my heresy keeper, okay? So, <laughs> so uh, I mean, last week we kind of dove into the story of Joseph and kind of broached the subject of suffering. Uh, and I think this is a great question kind of connected to that. Why did God allow Jacob to believe his son Joseph was dead all those years? Mm. So, it's a good question. Yeah. And here's the way I guess great. Here's the way I approach things. There's a, so many things in God's in the text. This is what I do. I come to this, and if this book addresses it, then man, we're gonna have the answer. The book, as far as I know, doesn't tell us um, why God allowed that to happen. Um, there's no like Genesis 51 verse 
132, that says, here's why Jacob believed this tragedy that never occurred. So there's not a Bible verse that I know that believes that. What there is, is truth throughout the Bible about God's character. Um, And so we know that the reason God allowed that to happen and had that be part of his story, that was not because God is bad. It was not because God was not loving. Um, It was not because God didn't care about him because we know those things are not the character of God. And so I don't know. Um, Again, I know what it's not. It's not because God isn't good. It's not because he's not sovereign. It's not because he's not loving. Um, But I think probably it happened because the same reason there's a lot of unanswered things happen in our story that we don't know why God allowed it to take that twist and turn. But what we do know is about his character and his attributes. And even if we, when we don't know the specific answers to the whys, we need to go back to what we do know about who he is. But that's a great question. I mean, there's so much in the Bible that leaves a lot of things unanswered. And here's the great thing about the Bible. God tells us in this word everything that we need to know about him. Everything that God knows we need to know, he's revealed to us, but God doesn't tell us everything. Um, and so there's a lot of empty spaces in what he's revealed. Um, another question just texted in. Could you help us see how, I'm trying to rephrase it, it was a little difficult, but I, I think uh, the idea behind it is, can you help us see how understanding Abraham's story helps us to understand the larger picture of the Bible. Yes, excellent question. I'm, I'm looking for who said that. They're probably like in Utah watching us online. <clears throat> but um, here's how it does it, right? Because Abraham's story, the promise, I got up to touch my TV to show you the chart that's not here. Um, because the promises that God made, here's how. Because God first said to Eve, right, Genesis chapter 3, the whole thing's messed up. He said, I'm going to give you a child. There's going to be a child who comes who fixes everything, okay? He said that seed. You're going to have a seed. Then God comes to Abraham and gives these three layers and says, Abraham, I'm going to give you kid, people. I'm going to give them land. I'm going to have blessing come from that all people. So now we have two parts of the rescue plan. We have a child And we have Abraham's descendant from the land of Israel who's going to offer blessing to all people. And guess what? You know what Jesus was? Jesus was a relative of Abraham from the land of Israel who came to offer blessing to all people. And and, and as we go along, what we're going to see, here's a spoiler alert. You can still watch, right? Don't like tune out for the next eight months and not watch. What we're going to see is not only is it going to be a child, not only is it going to be related to Abraham who comes from the land of Israel who offers blessing, but we're going to see as we move into Samuel and other places, it's going to be a king who's related to David. And Jesus was a child, a man related to Abraham from the land of Israel, who was related to David, who claimed to be a king in the kingdom who offers blessing to all people. And so we kind of see that Abrahamic covenant being the checklist for the person who's eventually going to come and can cover everything. Okay, Genesis 6. Oh man, what's Genesis 6? <laughs> um, so in Genesis 6, it references the it's, sons of God, oh, daughters goodness. of men, Nephilim. The Nephilim. <clears throat> Do you want to take a stab at that? 
I do. Did Dan do that when we talked about Noah? <clears throat> so here's the deal. Genesis I think he six. Just talked about. It. I don't think he. Okay. So Genesis. It. Great question. Whoever asked that. Um, so Genesis six has this the phrase um, the Nephilim, the sons of God, right? And um, it was this people group, the category of creatures who are described in there and linked to interestingly in other places. And there's two different possibility. I'm, I'm using words carefully because this is a large audience of different ages. There's two different theories about what that people group is, okay? Some of you are going to hear this and you're going to be like, bro, you're talking crazy talk. Others of you have thought about the Nephilim for 15 years. Okay, here's what it is. And one theory is that there were earthly kings, powerful emperors in that day, right, real humans who um, had offspring who were majestic, who were big, who were strong, who were powerful, who's referred to as this group of people. The other theory is that they were some sort of mix of human and supernatural, that in some really odd way, um, evil, supernatural beings, demons, had relations with earthly women that created this offspring of like demon people uh, who were powerful. And there's a lot of people are split on it. It has nothing to do with whether Jesus died for your sins. It's probably a question that most churches in America have never even talked about, but it is in the text. I personally, if... I remember where I landed. I think, and I have to remember because it does have to do with Hebrew and what sons is gods and linked to other places. I think I've landed in the place where it's more of human being described as humans, but it could also very, very well be described as this like human, um, evil, angelic class of people. And we probably have time for like, I don't know, one or two more. Um, may, maybe go back a little bit further. I think this is a, a, a really well-meaning question, trying to teach children about some of that prehistory that isn't included in the Bible. Uh, it was a question about dinosaurs. Well, what do we do with some of that? I, I don't think they're trying to be silly. I think no, no, just, no. Yeah, like how, um, how do we teach kids? Like, what was going on before recorded biblical history? Yes. So, oh man, look at the time. <laughs> or I could do the cell phone thing like, hey, yeah, Bob. Um, okay, so this, this we're, uh, we're going to get you out of here in a minute. Here, that's a great question. It's really a challenging one. And there's so, that's like when you, e you know when you, I, you guys can email, this would be an email, you can email me. I've yet to figure it out when I make spaghetti and I dump it into the colander. I try everything I can, but it all still gets sticky and all connected together. I'm not Italian. I wish I was. Okay, you know how those noodles, if you don't do right, get all sticky and stuck together? That's what, there's a lot of sticky things stuck together in this question, okay? Um, <clears throat> because here's where I come, right? I come to this book as a theological book, not a scientific textbook. So what this book teaches me is that God made every creature that exists. 
And so God made dinosaurs, right? God made every creature that exists. God made dinosaurs. There are, the, the question then becomes a little more complicated. Okay, that's great, Peter, but like, did dinosaurs and people live together, right? That's kind of what's part under this question. And that's where your view of how everything came into being starts to speak into it. Because an evolutionary theory says, um, and some creation theories could say this too, okay, but what's common thought is that, um, you know, dinosaurs were hundreds and hundreds of millions of years ago, there was a catastrophe that wiped them out, fossil records show us that, and then humans continued the evolutionary process after the dinosaurs were wiped out. Maybe dinosaurs evolved into some birds, but then humans later evolved so they didn't live at the same time because the earth is billion, hundreds of millions of years old, okay? Then there are some people on the creation science thing who would say, no, that's what evolutionists say about how old the earth is, but actually it's not that old and God made everything and God made everything all at the once at the same time. And they argue that because of some of their understanding of how you read Genesis 1. And so they say that God made everything at the same time. And so humans and dinosaurs lived together. And um, dinosaurs would have been on the ark with Noah. A bunch of dinosaurs would have been wiped out at the flood. And so what the fossils actually show is what a flood would cause to happen to fossilization. And then over time, as the, the, the dinosaurs just became extinct, like other, like little bald eagles could become extinct. The dinosaurs became extinct, but they were living at the same time of humans. Um, God made everything. Okay? Hear me? God made everything. It's really important to say that. It did not just poof out of nothing. All right? Um, interestingly, there are verses in the Bible, like in Job, that talk about this creature, the behom. Beh Yes, that. Behemoth? Uh, behemoth. I got so excited because we, we call our Ford excursion the behemoth. And for some reason, I had a brain lapse. Yeah, there's verses in Job that talk about the behemoth or the Leviathan, these massive creatures. There's verses that talk about sea dragons. There's verses that talk about these fiery serpents that fly through the air. And that's not like necessarily figurative revelation. So there are these descriptions of these really, really big creatures that the Bible record says. So... Um, a lot of that question goes to how old you see the earth. Um, and different people who would call themselves Christians disagree about that. What the Bible says is that God created everything. If you hold a view that God did not create everything, that is an unbiblical view. Okay? Um, and so the Bible lays some things out, and then we can look to science to seem to support some things. But when you come to the book of Genesis, the first question is not what scientific theory does that book support? The first question is what does the text of Genesis itself tell me? Right? And so I know that's a little vague. Actually, I probably didn't really help answer anybody. But, but there's different approaches. It's a very complicated thing. But what's not complicated is that God made everything. And to say that God did not make everything is an unbiblical statement. And last question, and then we'll let you guys go cook out. Is that cool with you? Yeah. Okay, good. Someone 
Dude, don't make this Someone a doozy. Very ki kindly texted in <laughs> oh. some cooking tips for you with your spaghetti. Oh, so. good. I know the olive oil. You know what I think you do? You think you put a little of the extra sauce in there. <laughs> um, I, I think this one is fair. It's, oh, geez. No, no, it's fair. Um, it's not like a super theological one, but it is kind of connected to the end of your sermon. You were kind of challenging us to not just be spectators. Um, so the question is this. How do we tell the difference between what we want and what God wants? <laughs> Put a little olive oil in it. Come back, man. <laughs> Come back next week. That's what I would do. If I was like a mega church pastor right now, they'd say, Come back next week. And something would go, um, <clears throat> Well, I th okay. I'm going to answer this quickly, but it's not a quick, it's not a quick thing to talk about. Uh, I think we begin realizing what ultimately matters is what God wants. Um, and so we start from trying to figure that out. And we know in this word what God wants is ultimately for him to be worshipped and for his glory to be seen. And so we frame our desire, seek first his kingdom. Jesus said, and all these things will be added to you. So we start from a place of, God, I want, I want my desires. I don't want a competition between what I want and what you want. I want to want what you want. And the problem is, we don't always want that. Um, you know, I, I, <clears throat> I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't want bad things to happen to my family. I'm not saying God wants that, but a lot of times in life, um, I, you know, so I think you start with what does God want? He wants him to be worshiped. He wants to have glory. He wants people to know him. And then we bring our desires into alignment and underneath those desires. The challenge, okay, so that's broad strokes. The challenge then sometimes becomes like, well, I want to move to Philadelphia. Does God want me to move to Jersey? It's an easy question to answer, but... <clears throat> I won't answer it for you, right? Does God want me to move to Philadelphia? Does he want me to Jersey? And the way that we do this, and this is the last part of the ending, the, the steps to figure out, the, does God want me to have Susie over for dinner or should I have Billy and Betsy over for dinner? What is God's will for my life? Okay, well, you begin by saying, does God tell you to do something? Does God speak to the issue of Philly or Jersey? Uh, he doesn't. Then you go to, would it be a sin to move to Philly or Jersey? Does he tell you to move to Philly or Jersey? No. Does he tell you in his word not to move to Philly or Jersey? No. So it's not a command of his that you have to do. It's not a sin for you to avoid. And then literally, I think what you see as you look at Proverbs and other places, the question then becomes, what is the wisest thing for me to do? <clears throat> What's the wisest decision, right? So what God, the way we align God's wills and our wills is, first we want to bring our will under God's will. We want our desires, we want God to bring us to a point where what we desire is what he desires. And then when you get into some of the decisions about Philly or Jersey, Brugger's or whatever else, okay, does he tell me to do it? If he does, do it. Does he tell you not to do it? If he does, then don't do it. And then the third part is if neither of those are there, then, then, then what's the wisest? And we make that decision by speaking to people who know us and who care about us, who don't always tell us what we want to hear. Because when I'm making a decision, I know that there's certain people I can go to and they'll be like, oh yeah, that's a great decision. Those aren't necessarily the people I need to go to who are going to support what I'm thinking. I'm going to go to the people who I know know me enough and love me enough 
to really tell me, Smith, that is a stupid decision. Um, so that's kind of the process I, I go through. So I don't know if that was helpful, but here's why we did this. We did this because, especially in COVID, there's been a lot of one-way communication coming out there. It's been a lot of talking heads. And so we literally just wanted to create an environment for you guys to feel like you could engage. And we haven't been able to fully dialogue as we would in smaller settings, but we wanted you to feel like you had an opportunity to raise some questions or ask some things. So sure, appreciative from the folks who did this, uh, raised them. We're going to do this again because there are some questions that come up through this, this series. And so we'll do this a time or two again. Uh, but that wraps up for now. So how about our moderator, Chris Raleigh? <laughs> Hey, thank you all for being here very much. Um, I'm going to go find out how to make my pasta and go home and make me a big old pot of barilla spaghetti to see if I can keep it from unsticking. Man, we're grateful for you guys. We love you guys. And we hope you have a great week. And we'll see you next Sunday.